Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. The movement for an end to violence and criminalization against sex workers has gained momentum in the past decades. U.S. Prostitutes Collective, a sex worker rights network, has made the case since its founding four decades ago that poverty has everything to do with the existence of prostitution. In a recent event in San Francisco entitled Hookers in the House of the Lord was held in St. Francis Lutheran Church, us pros made the case that, quote, throughout many decades, sex workers have taken sanctuary in churches to bring to public attention the brutal impact of criminalization and to protest police illegality and racism, end of quote. Mothers, they say, were at the forefront of these struggles. Today, we bring you voices from that event. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. House lawmakers will try again today to nominate a leader after Republicans failed to choose one yesterday. California's Kevin McCarthy became the first in his party in more than a century to not secure enough votes to ascend to House Speaker. Democrats leader in the House, the first black man to lead a major party, Hakeem Jeffries, garnered more votes than McCarthy. He earned 212, but it's still not the 218 needed as Republicans control the House. Republican Donald Trump is weighed in, urging Republicans to vote for McCarthy. Max Pringle has more. Kevin McCarthy needed 218 votes to be elected Speaker. He got only 202 in the third round after a block of hard right members refused to back him. New York Republican Elise Stefanik formally nominated the California Republican for Speaker and rattled off a list of his conservative bona fides. Kevin McCarthy is a strong conservative. He is proudly pro-life, a supporter of our Second Amendment rights, and he is committed to stopping wasteful government spending and shrinking the size of government. Electing a Speaker is the first order of business for the new Congress. No new legislative business can happen without one. Among the 20 or so Republicans opposing McCarthy's nomination is Texas Representative Chip Roy, who backs fellow MAGA Republican Jim Jordan of Ohio. We do not have the tools or the leadership yet to stop the swamp for rolling over the American people. Jim has been doing it. He has a track record of doing it. However, Congressman Jordan urged his GOP colleagues to unite behind McCarthy. The differences we may have, they pale in comparison to the differences between us and the left, which now unfortunately controls the other party. I'm Max Pringle. In the Senate, Patty Murray, a Democrat from Washington, became the first woman president pro tempore. Catherine Carley reports there are other firsts in Congress. Democratic Senator Patty Murray of Washington touted the accomplishments of her party in 2022 before stepping in as the first female Senate president pro tempore, putting her third in the line of presidential succession. We sat down to really negotiate these issues like families sent us here to do because we focused on fighting these crises, not fighting each other. Republican Mitch McConnell also became the longest-serving Senate leader in history, while Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer became the longest-serving senator from New York. 
Democratic Representative Maxwell Frost of Florida may be the first member of Gen Z elected to Congress. It's about people versus the problem, and that's the way we're going to move forward here in Florida. It can't just be about parties. At age 25, he also joins a record number of Hispanic legislators, including five Republicans and nine Democrats. I'm Catherine Carley for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. A record number of women are in Congress, 149, two more than last year. That's still a third of the 535 members of Congress, 27.9 percent. Despite the fact that women turned out in higher numbers than men in the November midterms last year, according to the Center for American Women in Politics, this year both chambers of Congress will have a total of 107 female Democratic lawmakers and 42 female Republican lawmakers. The Democratic Party has 72 percent of women in Congress. The Food and Drug Administration has finalized a rule change that allows women seeking abortion pills to get them through the mail, replacing a long-standing requirement that they pick up the medicine in person. The Biden administration implemented the change last year, announcing it would no longer enforce the dispensing rule. The action Tuesday formally updates the drug's labeling to allow women to get a prescription via telehealth consultation with a health professional and then receive the pills, known as mephesterone, through the mail, where permitted by law. A group of video game testers has formed Microsoft's first labor union in the U.S., which will also be the largest in the video game industry. The Communication Workers of America said a majority of about 300 quality assurance workers at Microsoft video game subsidiary ZeniMax Studios has voided has voted to join the union. The Russian military says unauthorized use of cell phones by Russian soldiers calling home led to the deadly Ukrainian rocket attack in a Donetsk facility where they were stationed. It raised a death toll from the weekend's attack to 89. Ukraine says more than 100 were killed. The attack was one of the deadliest on the Kremlin's forces since the start of the war over 10 months ago, and it marked yet another setback for the Kremlin's war effort in Ukraine. More setbacks could be on the way as Ukraine is readying to receive U.S. Patriots missile system. Ukraine's military said Russia launched 18 airstrikes, seven missile strikes and more than 85 attacks in the last 24 hours on Ukraine, damaging civilian infrastructure in three cities, Kherson, Krematorsk and Zaporizhia. I'm Christina Onestead reporting for Pacifica Radio. Those were our news headlines. And now we bring you excerpts from Hookers in the House of the Lord, an event held in San Francisco on December 10th, 2022. It was organized by the U.S. Prostitutes Collective, Defense of Prostitute Women's Safety Project, Global Women's Strike, and Women of Color in the Global Women's Strike, an organization, by the way, that I am part of. The event marked two anniversaries, the founding of U.S. Prostitutes Collective and the historic occupation of the Church of the Holy Cross in London, England by the English Collective of Prostitutes and their supporters. The event, December 10th, had a wide range of endorsers, including California Interfaith Power and Light, California Poor People's Campaign, Chappas Support Committee, Erotic Service Providers Legal Education and Research Project, Faithful Fools, National Lawyers Guild, San Francisco Bay Area, Rad Mission Neighbors, Raging Grannies Action League, San Francisco Living Wage Coalition, San Francisco Night Ministry, Sex Workers Advocacy Project at UC Davis, St. James Infirmary, 
Swap Behind Bars Inc. and Western Regional Advocacy Project. You will hear the voices of Pastor B. Chun, who is with the St. Francis Lutheran Church, who opens the discussion with an historical account of the church as a place of sanctuary for those who are oppressed and discriminated against. Also from Rachel West of the U.S. Prostitutes Collective. She fills us in on the victories and challenges facing the sex worker rights movement. Jane Welford of Global Women's Strike, who tells her story of being a single mother struggling to raise her children in poverty and the interrelationship of the struggles for mothers and the criminalization of poverty. Also, you will hear from Nell Myhand from Women of Color in the Global Women's Strike. She discusses the role of racism of policing and also discrimination within the sex industry itself against black and brown sex workers. Let us go to hear their voices now. Welcome everyone. I am thrilled to be co-hosting this very amazing event, Hookers in the House of the Lord. It is in fact a Chinese last name. For many years I was married to a man from Hong Kong, so I still like my Chinese last name. About 13 or 14 years ago, I kind of figured out where I belong in the world. So I am now married to a woman from Russia. And by now you will also have figured out that I speak with an accent. I speak with a German accent. Some people will never ever set foot in a church for good reason. The church has a terrible track record of oppression, violence, and even murder. So if people are unable to come in a church space, I really, I really understand. If anyone here today has ever been hurt by the church, I want to tell you how very, very, very sorry I am that has happened. And if anyone here has a hard time stepping into a church and has come anyhow, Thank you. Every once in a while, there is a segment of the church that manages to be to the teachings of Jesus, that manages to be on the side of liberation and freedom and justice and healing. The Holy Cross Church in London, England represents such a segment of the church, and we will hear about that church a lot more in just a moment. I have the great good fortune to serve as the pastor of an amazing congregation. This congregation has always been on the side of those who are marginalized and ostracized. Over its 110 years of history, it has stood with the poor and the homeless and immigrants. And then during the 80s in the AIDS crisis, it has come out in support of people with AIDS and their families. In order to serve them better, they have also decided that the best people to serve queer people are queer people. So they called to uh, lesbian pastors, Ruth and Phyllis, and ordained them. And as a result, they were put on trial, then put for a while on suspension, and after five years, kicked out of the Lutheran Church. Well, as you can see, we are back inside the Lutheran Church after many, many years of advocacy, 
the Lutheran Church has actually changed its policy. And now people like me, an openly practicing lesbian, um, married to another openly practicing lesbian, can also be an openly practicing ordained pastor. That took a lot of work. This event respects not only the teachings of Jesus, it respects the person of Jesus. The Gospel of John begins with a very interesting introduction to who Jesus was, genealogy. And there's a very, very long list starting with Abraham, and it is the ancestors of Joseph. So that should give you pause right there, because we say that Jesus was born of a the Virgin Mary, so why is he being introduced with a list of ancestors based on the lineage of Joseph? In this lineage, there's of course a long, 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 long list of men, Abraham and all the other patriarchs after him, but there are four women in that list, only four. And of those four women listed, two were prostitutes. I'm not making that up. You can open your Bible and look it up for yourself. So the first woman prostitute listed there is Tamar. She worked as a prostitute, as far as we know, just once in her life in order to become pregnant. She wanted to become pregnant so that the lineage of Judah could continue. The other prostitute was Rehab, who protected two spies who came to Jericho and kept them safe and helped them to escape from their enemies. And then after she married one of those two spies, and in this way, she also became an ancestor of Jesus. Without further ado, I want to introduce to you Rachel West from the U.S. Prostitute Collective. Thanks very much, Pastor B. It's been a joy working with you. And today we're talking about the occupation of churches by sex workers. Historically, sex workers have taken sanctuary in churches to protest the brutal impact of criminalization. Interestingly, mothers were at the forefront of those occupations, and we're going to talk a lot about mothers today who are invisible in the sex worker movement. There were occupations in San Francisco, I'll tell you a bit about that. Occupations in London, England, that's what we're focusing on today, that particular occupation. Occupations in Vancouver, Canada, and also in France. France was the first place in 1975 where women took over a church in Lyon and it spread all over France. So there have been a number of occupations that have taken place and today we're going to explore the one that happened in London. These actions helped start the sex worker rights movement internationally. And in the UK, women entered the church to protest after the police threatened to take away the child of a woman who was working because she had pleaded not guilty and they were just furious. They were incensed and wanted to do something about it and show their power. Yeah, it, it began the new modern-day sex worker rights movement. As we see today, there's a police crackdown going on in the mission. We'll talk more about that later. I don't know if you've heard about it. And instead of addressing the high levels of poverty that exist in San Francisco, the city, which is driving more sex workers into prostitution, there's a direct connection between poverty and prostitution, and we're all going to speak about that today because it's not spoken about enough. And the city's response to that is more arrests and more criminalization. Today, as I said, we're highlighting the occupation of the Church of the Holy Cross in London in UK in 1982, 40 years ago. And that the women went into the church for 12 days 
and they hung a banner outside the church saying, Mothers Need Money, End Police Illegality and Racism. A remarkable event, a reunion event, took place in London, and I went to it recently in October, where the church invited the English collective of prostitutes who organized the occupation back to the church to reflect on the significance of the occupation. And it was a wonderful event, a packed church, and people had you know, extraordinary remembrances of that occupation. There was a huge amount of media on the issue of prostitutes going into a church in London. Um, all, including international media. Sex workers got a chance to put their case, their truth, forward to the public. And you know, the public heard about the reality of sex workers' lives in a way that had never happened before. And it broke ground in many ways. And the second film clip you'll see is interviews on a black radio show in London at that time in 1982 with black sex workers talking about their work and their lives, you know, which people, that was new that people would even hear from black sex workers and the kind of racism they faced. And so it really, the occupation helped you know, move the public debate forward and change, um, shift public opinion in relation to sex workers. And at that time, you'll see the media loved to say the vice girls this and the vice girls that. But then after the occupation, they shifted that to prostitute women or sex workers. You know, so it really had an impact. And we in San Francisco at that time in 1982, that's just when the U.S. Prostitutes Collective was starting going, we did a support picket outside the British consulate for them to take up their demands. Members of the English Collective of Prostitutes occupy the Church of the Holy Cross in the King's Cross Red Light District. They say they're tired of police harassment and they're seeking salvation from the authorities. This report from Steve Clark. The women say they're occupying the church to bring attention to what they claim is the increasing level of police harassment of prostitutes in the area. Wearing masks to protect their identities, they went ahead with an early morning breakfast and announced their intention to stay put. Well, a number of women came into the church after the evening service and explained to the vicar what the situation was and said that we were going to stay until we had seen the people that we were asking to see and until we had some guarantees that the situation would change. Close to the church is Argyle Square, a favourite haunt of prostitutes. The police say they've not received any official complaint about harassment. But the vicar of Holy Cross, who lives in the square, says the girls have a right to make their protest. Now, Salma James, you are leading this protest, and you're no, not, not a... I'm not. I'm not well, you're one, of the, you're one of the leaders, and yes. you're very heavily involved. Now, you're not a prostitute. How do you, you make know... make it sound like that's a crime. I'm just stating the case. Yes. How do you know, since you aren't a prostitute, what the prostitutes of King's Cross really want. Because they say so all the time. They say so to everybody and nobody listens and that's why we took over the church. So now they are hearing. And now people who want to defend the police are attacking those of us who are not prostitutes and those of us who are for putting the case before the public. All right, now there have been some fairly upfront attacks on you, particularly today in some of the national newspapers. Yeah, and it's been pointed out that you're a long-time campaigner for women against rape, wages for housework, housewives in dialogue, black women for wages and so black on. Black women? Fine. Sounds but ominous. Yeah. Worthy causes as these I'm sure may be, isn't there a danger that your reputation as a professional adopter of causes might backfire on the girls you're trying to represent and make the public lose sympathy for the girls? I don't earn my living as a, as a backer of causes as you earn your living by questioning people who do have causes. I earn my living uh, as a typist. And I would like to say that every woman is, should be interested in the cause of prostitutes in King's Cross, 
and every person who understands that the police are not doing what they're supposed to be doing and are doing what they're not supposed to be doing, are doing illegal things, should be very interested, very concerned with what we are doing. We're the front line demanding that the police activity in King's Cross and elsewhere be looked into. Some of, we're the, girls, the, James, were, some of the girls were quoted today as saying that your sit-in at the church had caused the police to crack down even harder. How do you reply to that? I think that that's partly true. I think that many girls are not being arrested, and I think that some girls are being arrested more, especially those, you know, whom the police can get at. They're very angry when women stand up for their rights, and they're doing more illegal work in some areas now than they were before. Well, are you is, sorry? Well, sitting a good thing if the yes. police is causing the police to crack down harder? No, no. The police are doing some more illegal work in some areas and some less illegal work in others. Women walked out of the church today and were threatened with arrest, but they were not arrested because we were with them, those of us who have been publicly identified. There is no way it is a bad thing to point to police illegality if you have a case and we have one. You cannot say that that's unjust. Summer James, there's one final point I'd like to put to you. The idea of campaigning for prostitutes' rights is not a new one. Right. In this country, a body called the Josephine Butler Society was founded in 1870 that's to protect right. prostitutes' civil rights, and today they told us that they could not support your sit-in. Yes. Why do you think it is that the oldest body in the country to help prostitutes is not supporting you? Because they're not interested in prostitutes. They're careerists who are making their living by saying they're interested and concerned and looking around and doing nothing. Women have come to them for help and they've received. It's a fact that there's been a dramatic rise in the number of black women on the streets. What may surprise or even offend some people is that these women regard themselves as no different from the thousands of other young black women, many of them single mothers in our cities. In fact, they say that their demands are actually the basis of a campaign on behalf of all these women. There was this man wanting a black girl, and I was the only black girl there at the time. So I went with him, and I went back to the hotel to do business. Chantal is a single mother. She has three children. She's 21 years old, and she's been a prostitute for exactly a year. Samantha is just 20. She has a daughter of six. She's been on the game for nearly two years. Chantal and Samantha are just two of the growing number of young black women who have taken to the streets to earn their living. In fact, it's said that nearly half the prostitutes that work in this area, King's Cross, are now black. And not only are their numbers growing, but these young women are very different from the traditional image of the prostitute. Many of them are well-educated, most of them have children, and almost all would say that they got onto the game through their own deliberate and conscious choice rather than being forced into prostitution through circumstances. And it's this new attitude towards their work that seems to be leading them to take the kind of political action that could have consequences not just for prostitutes but for young black women in general. Some of the women I spoke to were saving up for businesses that they intended to set up in a few years time. And unlike previous generations of prostitutes, almost none of them were organized by pimps. Why should I hand over my hard-earned cash to a man was a comment repeated by several. It's precisely because of their very different response to the problems of their work that this new generation of black prostitutes is beginning to make the public aware of just how different they are. Women we talked to said that conditions were tougher if you were a black prostitute. White girls often sign up with escort agencies to avoid working on the streets. 
but black prostitutes claim that they are often shut out of the agencies. You know, it's mostly English girls there, and if there's any black girls, you don't get a job. You can hang around for months, and you don't get a job. The women who occupied the church felt um, that they had come to the end of their tether, that nobody was paying any attention to their needs um, and their demands in terms of um, police policing in the area and the way that they were being treated. So, as far as they were concerned, that was the last um, the last stand that they could take to actually make sure that people started to take them seriously, take their demands seriously. And in terms of that, they've certainly achieved um, quite a, quite a, an amount. Um, so I think it's very valid. But even more significant in the future than who backed them are the issues on which the women campaigned. First, the right to decent accommodation. Second, the sort of work that will give them economic independence from their families, from men and from the state. And thirdly, black prostitutes particularly want the black community's support. For activists like Wilmette Brown, however, the biggest immediate challenge may well be the reluctance of the black community itself to accept that prostitutes' demands are legitimate, either politically or morally. What do you think the attitude of the black community will be to the fact that uh, black prostitute women are saying that fundamentally their problems are the same as all black women's problems? Well, the initiative that young black prostitute women have taken has already opened up a tremendous debate over the whole question of respectability in the black community. That the immorality is not with the women, but with the poverty that black people are forced to live in. First up, I want to introduce Rachel West with U.S. Prostitute Collective and Jane with Global Women's Strike and Nell with Women of Color in Global Women's Strike. So I just wanted to say, which I forgot to say, the English Collective of Prostitutes is our sister organization. And with Empower in Thailand, we together form the International Prostitutes Collective. This event today is marking the our 40th anniversary of the U.S. Prostitutes Collective. We started in 1982, and we've been campaigning for the decriminalization of prostitution, for resources for women who want to get out of prostitution, and for, for safety and rights for sex workers. And then I have a collective statement that we've written. Um, we're a multiracial organization, so we got input from all the different women in our organization, and this statement is by all of us. Anti-racism and anti-poverty were always central to the campaigning of us pros. Anti-racism and anti-poverty were always central to the organizing of the U.S. Prostitutes Collective. In particular, but not, not only, we focused on sex workers who are the most vulnerable to police harassment and violence. Those who, look, who, who are locked out of inside jobs and forced to work on the streets. We promoted a study that said when welfare was cut, that's cash assistance to single mothers, the numbers of sex workers, the number of single mothers arrested for prostitution increased, a di direct connection between poverty and sex work. In the, in the 40 years that have gone by, we've seen change, and I wanted to talk about some of the change that we've seen and some of the crucial victories that we've won over the years, um, and that and protections that the sex worker rights movement has won. Um, I wanted to um, point out this little booklet that's available at the back, and that lists and describes um, some of the concrete achievements that we've won over the years. And I'm just going to run through a few of them. 
One was the, as, as has been mentioned, the city of San Francisco's task force. The city government set up a task force, a number of us were appointed to it, and we had the job of coming up with um, strategies and recommendations to the city, and it took two years. It was an amazing time. It, the city was, a, prostitution, the issue of prostitution was spotlighted, and the whole country was watching this task force. It was the first time that sex worker groups were involved, and we came up with a really good report and recommendations to the city, some of which have been implemented. Um, then us pros, U.S. Prostitutes Collective, spearheaded a fight back in 2013 when we found out that when a sex worker was brutally raped and beaten and she came to us and told us she had tried to claim compensation from the victim compensation program and was denied because they had a specific regulation that said sex workers are not eligible. We thought that was outrageous. So we um, started organizing to get rid of that regulation and we found out that formerly incarcerated people, you come out of prison, you're on probation or parole, they were also excluded. So we joined together and we organized a statewide campaign. It took us a year, you know, pressing the victim compensation program. And in the end, they said, okay, we'll get rid of that regulation. So we won that. And that was an amazing victory. That was our you know, really public fight. <laughs> and it was, it was really thrilling. We got a lot of press at that time, which was great. Um, we also worked with other groups um, in the city to press the police department and the district attorney's office in San Francisco to not arrest and prosecute sex workers coming forward to report crime, violent crime against them. You'd go to the police and say, you know, I was beaten up, and they would say, well, where were you working and what were you wearing? And they were more interested in trying to establish that you were a prostitute than the violence that happened to you. And it took us years, took us three years. The district attorney's office came up um, after about six months and agreed to the safe, prioritizing safety for sex workers resolution. They actually have policy now that they can't arrest you and they can't prosecute you. It took longer to get the police department to agree to that, but they did finally agree after, I think it was three years, we now have a safety for sex workers policy in San Francisco that also um, calls, you know, if the police are, have been perpetrators of violence, they can also be prosecuted. That was a hard one to get, but we did get them to finally agree to that. Um, and then following those San Francisco policies, we organized with other organizations and got a state bill um, to, to prioritize safety for sex workers and for the police not to use condoms as evidence. They are now not allowed to use condoms as evidence. And statewide in California, they cannot arrest you if you go to report a violent crime. So those were, you know, it took years, but that's, it's made a difference. And we, we're looking now to see how they're implementing it, because it's one thing to get policy, and it's another thing to make sure that the police are actually following the, the rules. Um, and then this year, um, there was, a, there was a, um, a big organizing effort to get rid of the loitering for prostitution law. Now, that law is the, what the police can use against anybody saying, oh, she looked like a... She's loitering because she looks like a sex worker, and it was used in a very discriminatory way against anybody they wanted to go and arrest. You know, you were, you were going to the store, and they said you were loitering. And um, the, the, the fact that we got this law abolished this year in July, the governor signed the bill, and it went through the legislature, which was amazing. Um, 
was the strength of the sex worker movement, but it was also the black and brown movements against police abuse that were exploding at that time, and the police illegality. You know, all of that came together and the bill was passed and signed. So it's going to be um, going into force on January the 1st, 2023. The police cannot arrest sex workers for loitering. Um, and they're pissed about it. We'll, we'll say something about that. Um, we've always called out, our organization has always called out against racist policing from our beginning days. We actually started as a group of black sex workers in New York. It was called U New York Pros, and then we grew into a national group in 1982, and we, we started in San Francisco as us pros. Um, another change that we've seen recently, and you probably know about this, is when Chesa Budin was DA, he stopped um, prosecuting crimes of poverty, which prostitution is, and he wasn't arresting sex workers. But now, I don't know how many of you have heard about the mission with the new DA. She has said she is going to prosecute, and the police, the DA, and a, a, a limited number of residents in the Mission District have got together and they're calling for, you know, more police harassment, a crackdown in the Mission. Yeah, you're nodding. Exactly. And um, we're going to say more in the action part of this, but we've produced an action alert um, that it describes, like, what's going on in the Mission, like the police coming in with big lights, shining them on women, trying to chase women out, move them out which pushes women into more danger because women have to go into unlit areas, you know, industrial areas that are unsafe because the police are harassing them, they're trying to run from the police. So that's only going to cause more violence. And I don't know how many of you saw the, the latest news today of this border patrol agent guilty of murder. He was convicted of killing four prostitutes. That's the most recent thing. And you know, he thought prostitutes were trash and so dirty, is what it says in this article. And when they do these kind of crackdowns, that's the message the public's getting. Sex workers are trash, you know, that we're going to kick them out of the neighborhood and more violence happens. What state was he in? That was in San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> right. And so, um, you know, we're really horrified at the kind of language the the mission police are using. For example, it, Tony Flores of the San Francisco Special U Victims Unit, he's supposed to be concerned about victims and violence against women. He was quoted in the paper saying, he's going to try and make it uncomfortable for those people to go out there. So let the games begin. They're seeing, you know, hunting down vulnerable women as a game. That's how the police are describing it in the mission. And so we're going to be you know, doing something about that, and we're going to ask you to as well. Um, we have an action alert that we'll talk about. Um, just, I'm almost done. So today we're also marking the day to end violence against sex workers. It's a day every year. It's actually on December the 17th, but we're marking it today because we couldn't do it that day. Um, and, uh, and we want to especially highlight the work of the Black Coalition Fighting Back Serial Murders. We've been working with the Black Co Coalition in LA, and they've been organizing for decades against the murder 
and serial murders and disappearance of over 200 black women in LA. Um, not many people have heard about this, but it's, it's a horrific crime. And they've been campaigning for justice and um, police accountability because the police named those murders as NHI, no human involved. That's how they call them. NHI, no human involved. And they didn't do anything to stop the murders. And so the black coalition, black community had to get together and organized to get police accountability and, and you know, for something to be done. And they are now working on a permanent memorial for the victims in LA. Um, Nell will say more about the systemic poverty that pushes most sex workers into prostitution. And Jane's going to be talking about getting money into mothers' hands to address poverty. I mean, that's really also what we're all campaigning about. And I want, to I want to end by remembering the church occupation in San Francisco in 1917. About 200 women walked into a church in San Francisco to protest you know, extreme repression by the police at that time. They wanted to kick them out of the Barbary Coast. And it was led by a vicar um, in a local church in the Tenderloin. And the women went into the church and they went right up to, to the pastor was, was leading it and took over the pulpit. Ah, <laughs> which church? Um, it's in the Tenderloin. I, yeah, it's not, it's not there anymore. No. But I, I can... Let's do it again. <laughs> San is this San Francisco Rescue Mission? San no, this is in, it was in the Tenderloin, like down there where church? the Barbary Coast was. There was a church there. Yeah, it's, it's not there anymore because we did actually did an action and marched to the place where the church was a few years ago. We have a book in the back that describes that whole struggle in the Barbary Coast. The women went up to, there was a moral crusade against them. It was really vicious. And in the end, they did move all the women out, the moral crusade by the police and the vicar. Um, the women went up to and said to the congregation there, nearly every one of these women is a mother or has someone depending on her. They are driven into the life by economic conditions. If you want to stop prostitution, Stop the new girls from coming into it. You won't do any good by attacking us. Why don't you attack those conditions? I mean, that is what we're saying today. Those women were saying it back in 1917. And the conditions haven't changed that much. So like our sisters in London, we say mothers need money. Stop the criminalization of sex work. End police brutality and illegality and racism. We're going to take a short station break. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me. Ooh, 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 ooh. And I'm feeling good. Fish in the sea, you know how I feel. River running. 
This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. If you're on Facebook, you can look for us and friend us there. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at So True Radio. We're also nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. Look for us there, Sojourner Truth with Margaret Prescott. Today, we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in the San Francisco Bay Area and internationally we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Australia. We now turn our attention back to the last half of our coverage of the event held at St. Francis Lutheran Church in San Francisco, California on December 10th entitled Hookers in the House of the Lord. Hi, I'm Jane Welford from Global Women's Strike. At this event, we're highlighting the work of mothers and particularly mothers who are sex workers. We've joined with US Prostitutes Collective in the Bay Area and women of color in the Global Women's Strike to hold this event. Our struggles share the common threads of organizing against poverty, violence, and the taking of our children. Selma James launched a campaign called Wages for Housework in 1972, which now coordinates Global Women's Strike. Following the founding of workers, uh, women for, uh, Wages for Housework, a number of auto autonomous organizations within the campaign were founded, including Wages Do Lesbians, now Queer Strike, and the English Collective of Prostitutes, the sister organization of US Pros. Together we campaign for recognition, money, and other resources for those doing caring work all over the world, giving birth to the whole human race, 
nursing the babies, socializing the children, shopping, cooking, cleaning, caring for the elders, carrying water, growing food. Hold, this holds the whole society together. Caring work is essential for the healthy functioning of the entire society and is valued at 1.5 trillion a year to the US economy and 3.8 trillion worldwide. I lost my first child, my only daughter, to adoption in 1968. I was 19 and had no support system. I was numb at first. I was numb at first and uh, had suicidal ideas. I was devastated and floundering for years. Thirteen years later, my son was born, and that was very healing for me. I searched for years and finally found my daughter when she was 21. That was so important for both of us, and at the same time, the damage was done. I know the terrible pain of losing a child. Many sex worker mothers today are having their children taken away by child welfare because they are called unfit mothers. Homeless mothers are hiding their children in tents when social workers come around. <coughs> mothers in poverty are having their children fast-tracked into foster care and adoption because of their poverty. But mothers are fighting back in organizations like Give Us Back Our Children, which are part of our network. And as a result of the work of formerly incarcerated women and others, legislation was passed in California that says children can no longer be removed from their homes because their families are poor, that poverty is not neglect. This has been established, this has established a precedent in the US. I raised my second child, my son on my own, was able to get aid to families with dependent children which was a direct payment to me. Because of this money, I was able to leave an abusive relationship when my son was two. I was able to get a place of our own and raise my son in a peaceful way. AFDC was drastically changed by the Clintons in 1996, requiring a mother to leave her child for 30 hours a week in childcare and do low-paid jobs in order to get welfare. Thousands of mothers and their children were thrown into poverty, forcing so many into the underground economy. Many mothers, particularly black and other mothers of color, ended up in prison. We're working on getting the child tax credit reinstated and made permanent. The child tax credit, which stopped in December of last year, gave $300 per child per month up to the age of six and $250 per child up to the age of 17. This made a huge difference, lifting 50% of poor children out of poverty. This past week was a big push for the child tax credit to be reinstated. This would give mothers options. Mothers of young girls would have money to help their daughters so that their daughters wouldn't need to go out on the streets to get money for food and clothing. Even President, President Biden has said there should be no tax credit for corporations unless this child tax credit is reinstated. The global women's strike also launched the International Care Income campaign, pushing for governments to pay those taking care of family, those growing food and caring for the land and to protect the natural world. For the first time, mothers and other caregivers globally are being polled on what they want 
This international survey is called What Mothers and Other Caregivers Want. You can find this flyer on the literature table over there too. It has a QR code that you can scan that takes you directly to the survey. We hope that you'll fill it out and take it to family and friends. The survey has participants in both the global north and south and is gathering information to help with the push for governments to pay for this caring work. We're glad to be part of this event today with sex workers. We know that when sex workers are not safe, no woman is safe. Power to the sisters from Thailand to Nigeria to India to Peru to Haiti. I'm Nell Myhand. I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I am with Women of Color in the Global Women's Strike. And um, I also organize with the Poor People's Campaign, which is a co an endorser of this event. So we're glad to be here. I'm glad to be here wearing both those hats. I'm giving a statement for women of color in the Global Women's Strike, one of the organizers of the event. And we want to just start by acknowledging that the violence is disproportionate. It falls on women of color, trans women, black women, right? And so our presence here today is complex. We're here not only to celebrate the occupation in London and the work of the us pros here in San Francisco, but also to remember the violence that sex workers have faced and continue to face, and victims of that violence and the survivors of that violence. And so we just want to hold them with us in this process. California Penal Code 653.22 used routinely to harass and exploit poor and disproportionately black women. It's led to the criminalization of otherwise legal activities like walking or standing in public, resulting in the harassment of black and brown LGBTQ plus communities, mostly women, for simply looking like a sex worker. Black people accounted for over 56% of loitering charges between 2017 and 2019 in Los Angeles, despite making up less than 10% of the city's population. Us Pros has highlighted figures that show black people nationally make up 42% of all prostitution arrests while being only 13.2% of the population. And racism, even within the sex industry, means women of color are all too often forced to work on the street under the most dangerous conditions. And for the women of color who are not sex workers, we are impacted by these laws as well. Whether it's entering hotels where we are often suspected of being sex workers or in stores where we are racially profiled and followed. One case that I just want to lift up here comes from my work in Richmond. And earlier this year, a person who I'm in community with in Richmond in the 23rd Street Corridor, people you know, may recognize that as a it's labeled, you know, an area of prostitution and human trafficking. And so she lives there and had the, like, un, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it, but a sex worker was murdered on her lawn. The thing about it is that this woman, Sheila, 59 years old, a 59-year-old black woman murdered and the police told my friend, she knew better, at, as if 
it was a choice. She just felt like being out there, right? And so the work of ending violence against sex workers is really critical. It continues that we lose our sisters and we can't continue to accept that. So working there to create a response that doesn't blame her for what she suffered and doesn't increase the risk for women on the street, which we know criminalization does, is our focus. Her life is of value. As black women, our lives have historically been devalued from slavery to Jim Crow to today. And we are victims of racism, sexism, and economic deprivation. Similarly, indigenous women, whom we also want to lift up today as we also mourn the missing and murdered indigenous women across America, the Americas. The data in violence against sex workers means not only the increased risk of violent encounters with police and clients, it also means policy violence from taking our children because, not because of abuse, but because we're poor, criminalized uh, due to lack of a care income for the work that we do, caring for our families. The work of fighting for communities and fighting for justice is also work. And we, that work is disproportionately on people of color, black people, and people who are poor. Historically and today, as women of color, we have always created profit for those who rule over us. Yet when we demand our right to welfare and other resources that we are being denied and victimized by being called unproductive, lazy scroungers. It's important that the sex workers' contribution, which is significant to the economy of San Francisco, be recognized. And we want our money, <laughs> okay? It's like we're contributing to the economy and living in poverty. Women and children make up 73% of the poor in the U.S. Criminalization of poverty, including prostitution, is rooted in policy violence, like the obscene and growing wealth gap in the U.S. Nationally, 43% of the U.S. is living in poverty, 140 million people. And in California, 50% of the population is in poverty, 20 million people. Most sex workers are mothers struggling to support their families. How many of the 80% of women in prison who are mothers are there because they refused poverty and sold sex to feed their children? So I have a, just a few facts about the California economy, fourth largest in the world, worth $3.4 trillion. And our political leaders claim that there's a $97.5 billion budget surplus need to be challenged because how can you say you have a surplus in the bank and people on the street and hungry? So we know that the money is here in California. Out of the seven richest counties in California, out of the 10 richest counties in California, seven are in the Bay Area. San Francisco is number four. There's no reason anybody should be homeless or hungry. Black Women for Wages for Housework, founded in the mid-1970s and today, coordinates women of color and global women's strike, wrote a document a few decades ago called Money for Prostitutes is Money for Black Women. And it spelled out the interrelationship between racism, poverty, and criminalization of sex workers. Today we're working with us pros as part of a movement for a care income for those who care for people and the natural world. We're bringing back the extended child tax credit and we're working against poverty of any of us wherever we are. It's past time to end poverty in California. 
and everywhere else. So we're going to, you know, fight to close the wealth gap starting here. We're out of time. Today's show produced by me, that's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank the Sojourner Truth team, including our board op, Gary Baca, our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas. I'd also like to thank the event organizers for allowing us to make this audio available to you. If you'd like a copy of today's show, you can contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230 or go online to pacificaradioarchives.org. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air. You all stay well and safe. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. 